before we can read our passage today, we need to be reminded of what comes before it. Context is so important, and here it's particularly necessary. So let's recall the story. It's a story that starts at the beginning. Of course, all stories have a beginning, but this story starts at the beginning. A new creation, a new earth, new waters, plants, and animals, and the stars, the sun, and the moon, and then people. Wonderful, curious, beautiful, fallible people. God had created this world, the plants and the animals in it, and these people. Then God had rested. Overlooking all of this new creation, God had remarked, it is very good. And God meant that. But those wonderfully curious, beautifully fallible people began to do what humans will do. They began to make mistakes, cause pain and grief and sorrow, not only toward one another, but toward the whole of creation. And God was grieved. God lamented the state of creation, and so God determined that creation needed a restart a nearly complete redo. But one family, Noah's family, would be spared this tragedy, this devastating consequence. And I'm sure we all know what happens next. An ark, a gathering of the animals, and then the rain, a pounding rain that drowned the earth and drowned cries of every other leaving thing, save Noah, his family, and the animals on that ark. And just as the rain pelted down, covering nearly all of that very good creation, God remembered Noah, his family, and that ark. And just like that, that act of remembering, of bringing Noah and his family of those animals once again to the center of God's mind, the rain stopped. In time, the waters receded, the sun shone and the earth received those deadly flood waters. The rain in time nurtured the ground and created soil fertile enough for regrowth. And as Noah and his family departed from the ark, offering praise in the form of a burnt offering, God determined again. But this time, God determined not to redo, not to restart, never again. So hear now these words from Genesis 9, these words of God. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you 
and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds and the livestock and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the cloud, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters of a flood destroy the earth. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. This is the word of God for all the earth. Thanks be to God. Recently, my five-year-old celebrated her 100th day of preschool. Perhaps you've heard of these celebrations. They've become quite a phenomenon in schools. They're a chance to celebrate achievements, time spent in learning and growth, and a great way to have a bit of fun in the cold and otherwise mundane months of winter. So perhaps you've seen pictures or even participated in some of these 100-day celebrations. Perhaps your children have dressed in ways that I think like to emulate and honor those who are blessed enough to celebrate 100 years of life. Or perhaps they've decorated a shirt or a poster with 100 things on it. And for a preschooler, like my daughter, this is a particular achievement as they've spent time preparing and learning to count, perhaps for the first time, to 100. It's quite a feat for someone only five one-hundredths of the way to that celebratory age. So our daughter had been practicing, learning, growing, attempting to count all the way to 100. And if I do say so, she was doing magnificently. Except, for whatever reason, she kept skipping the number 15. Every time, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, every time. So my husband determined to work with her on this. He came up with some pretty good and entertaining ways of helping her remember that pesky number 15. He would incite counting songs and then would jump and shout the number 15 when it came up. He would pop around the corner and ask, 11, 12, 13, 14, what comes next? He even created a sign with the number of 15 written large on a page 
and posted it above her desk. Lee was determined to help her remember number 15. You know, we all need a bit of remembering sometimes. I, myself, am an avid user of the Reminder app on my phone. And these days, I'll set a reminder for even the smallest things. Remember to respond to that email tonight. Remember to order cat food on Thursday. Remember to buy a birthday gift for so-and-so. And these days, with two young children and a full schedule, those reminders are lifesavers. In the ancient world, covenants were a sort of reminder. Typically, a covenant was written after, representing a binding agreement made between two parties. And that covenant served as a reminder of that commitment. It served as a way not of remembering something forgotten, necessarily, like that number 15, but more of recalling, of refocusing, of an important relationship. Sometimes covenants were created as a way of marking a new relationship. Treaties between neighboring nations as a way of defending themselves against a common enemy. Other times, covenants were set up as boundaries, or they set stipulations for a relationship like God's giving the Ten Commandments to Moses and the Israelites as obligations and reminders of their relationship with Yahweh God. The covenant we see in Genesis 9 is a bit different. This covenant in so many ways is entirely unique. For one, this covenant does not establish a new relationship. This covenant, the establishment of this covenant, is more like a ratification then. It marks a new moment in a relationship, but not a new relationship in itself. The relationship goes back, as I said, to the beginning. That was the beginning of this relationship, and it's one that applies to all of creation. Something else that makes this covenant unique. God's covenant with creation here in Genesis 9 is a reminder of refocusing of a relationship already in progress. Covenants in the ancient world were also mutual. In other words, both parties would agree to come to the table and set up boundaries. Of course, this is not to say that covenants were equilateral. There was usually one side of the party that dominated over the other, an overlord and his subjects. Regnal covenants were those that a king would set up above his subjects, the king promising protection to the people and demanding that the people remain loyal to the king through devotion and usually, more importantly, through taxes or tribute. In God's covenant with Noah and with all of creation here in Genesis 9, we see something different. This covenant is entirely one-sided, entirely God-sided. And what I mean by that is that this covenant is initiated by God and seems to have nothing to require of humanity. 
There are no specific stipulations or obligations. Of course, there is a lot to say about how we choose to respond to God's promises here, but that's another sermon for another day. But here, this covenant is God-initiated. In Genesis 9, God is the subject of nearly every verb. In verse 9, the Hebrew text actually emphasizes this God-initiatedness. There's a declarative, a look and see, which appears in the New International Version that we read as now. But there's an extra emphatic personal pronoun, I. So a literal rending of the Hebrew text in verse 9 would be something like this. Now see, I, I am establishing this covenant. The point is, this is God's doing and no one else's. Nowhere in the text does God say, you will be this or you must do that. Instead, God makes all the promises. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, ancient covenants might include a list of good deeds that the overlord has done for the people in the past as a way of encouraging or bolstering the people's obedience. But in God's covenant here, God provides a list of never agains, a list of things that God will never again do in the future. Even the sign, something that's typical in all covenants, is God-sided. Signs in ancient covenants, even in other biblical ones, are put in place to remind the people of their obligations to their overlord. The way that the Ten Commandments remind the Israelites of their relationship with God. But here, a rainbow reminds God. In verse 16, it says, Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant. Pause and hear that. I will see it and remember. God sets up a reminder for God's own memory. The promise that God makes here is so important to God that God ensures the remembering of it. This covenant is more than just obligations. It's about promises. It's about memory. The events that predicated this covenant are horrific, traumatic, devastating, violent. God had wielded great power in creation and had wielded great power in destroying that creation. And to ignore that would be to diminish the power of the promise that gets made on the other side. Our text reads the Hebrew word as rainbow, 
but the word was more often used in reference to a bow, that weapon of war in the ancient world. Notably, gods and other ancient cultural traditions were known for wielding bows. Lightning was believed to be the arrows that were shot from those gods' bows. And the Israelite god, too, was known to wield such a weapon on occasion. So to hear that God is committing to hanging up that weapon for all time after such a violent and sorrowful event is a powerful statement of peace and reconciliation. That bow in the clouds will forever serve to remind God of the promises made, the commitment to creation, to remind God of that never again. And that brings to mind a question. Why would God need a reminder at all? Isn't God omniscient? Incapable of forgetting? In the Hebrew language and in the ancient Israelite culture, remembering is more than a reminder of something forgotten. Remembering is about considering, taking account, bringing to the center of one's mind. Remembering is an action God takes to commit and recommit. Remembering is more than just an act, it's a symbol of that covenanted relationship. The rainbow reminder is not about remembering something forgotten. It calls attention to the promise that God has made. The rainbow serves as a witness to God's commitment and recommitment to creation. It's a colorful testimony to God's unending desire to be in relationship with us, with all of creation. I read a story recently about a father who had, when his daughter was in her early teenage years, written her a note. He gave her the note and told her to put it safe somewhere, like in her bedside table. And the note said this, you're scared to tell me something. Just bring me this note as a reminder that I'm here to support you. I won't get mad. I'll work with you on a solution. The note that was written by this father was a sign of his commitment to love and support his daughter. Whenever his daughter needed, she could show her dad that note, and he would have a tangible reminder a witness of his covenant to her, of his love for her. God's note is the rainbow. You see, God had determined that the earth must be destroyed because humanity had made such a mess of it. On the other side of the flood, humanity hasn't changed. Humanity is still wonderfully curious and beautifully fallible. And God knows this. Earlier in chapter 8, God had said, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though 
every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And in the very next chapters and on and on and on, the Bible keeps telling stories of humanity making mistakes. So God's covenant of never again and this rainbow note in the sky of love and support is one that reminds God of a new commitment to creation. A commitment where God accepts the fallibility of humanity. A reminder of the commitment and the choice to work with humanity, not against them. God has hung up that weapon of war. That bow shall never again be used for destruction. The gospel here is that God chooses to change the relationship. And so the rainbow covenant marks that new moment among the clouds that are God's destruction, the clouds that are the inclination of every human heart, our fallibility, our mistake-making tendencies, God's rainbow marks a relationship founded in grace and love. And there's another side to it as well. While it's true that the rainbow serves as a reminder to God, God says so, the whole covenant is a reminder for us. The note given to and kept by the daughter in that story a moment ago is a tangible symbol of her father's love. She gets to keep that. And the rainbow is a note that we get as well. The repetition that we hear in this passage, those repetitive words of between me and you and all the earth, of all living creatures, the repetition of I am establishing my covenant. I have established my covenant. I have set my bow in the clouds. I will see it. I will remember it. I will remember it. Sound like church bells reverberating across the earth. In other words, in case you didn't hear it the first time, God repeats it over and over. I am making this covenant with you. Never again, never again, I am with you. Just look at the rainbow. It's for you just as much as it is for me. I am with you. This story of God's covenant was, like many of the other stories in Genesis 1 through 11, recorded at a time when the people of Israel were suffering from the trauma of exile, the loss of community. So when they wrote down these age-old stories, they were at a moment questioning God's presence among them. They were experiencing upheaval, confusion, uncertainty. So it's no wonder that the story of Noah and his family of the arcs, of the flood, of the rainbow, takes up so much space in those first 11 chapters. They take up even more space than the stories of creation, 
The people of Israel needed to hear a story of compassion. They needed to hear a story of God's remembering of them, of God's presence and commitment to be with them, even when they were living amongst clouds of sorrow and pain, of fear and doubt. Perhaps we can relate a bit to those feelings. A pandemic that keeps us socially, physically distanced. Social and political unrest, injustice, inequality and inequity. Ecological disasters that show how we make mistakes with our earth every day. As a nation, as a creation, we struggle to make the right choices. We struggle with justice, Love, kindness, mercy, compassion, you name it. We are fallible people. And we constantly make mistakes. And so it seems that grief, uncertainty, pain, suffering, doubt are clouding our every days. As we begin the season of Lent, period of time to reflect upon our fallibilities, to reflect and repent upon our mistakes, and a period of time to recommit, let this story with its repetitious feeling of God's love and commitment, God's grace and forgiveness sound in your heart. For it is in this story that we perhaps see the first glimpses of the incarnational God. A God who so desires relationship with us that God would willingly change the game. To decide never again to be bent on destruction. A God that would hang up a bow in the clouds and would reach down to be with us, to be with that beautifully infallible, beautifully fallible, and wonderfully curious creation. The gospel of God here is that God remembers, that God seeks to be with us, and that God provides rainbows witnesses to that relationship for both God's sake and for ours because that covenanted relationship is that important. Just as we see on either side of this covenant in Genesis 9, clouds. Clouds of a flood and clouds of human mistakes. There will always be clouds. But thanks be to God that there are rainbows. So look. Look for those rainbows. Even amongst the clouds. And may we find them. And may we remember. Just as God remembers. As I said, there will always be clouds. But thanks be to God, there are rainbows. 